Our reading today comes from the Reverend Sarah York. It's entitled, Window or Aisle? Window or Aisle? The man at the counter asked as I prepared to board the plane for Detroit. No matter how often I fly, I always pause to make the choice. To take a window seat means being able to get a God's eye view of the earth. But what if I have to go to the restroom? It's such a bother to have to ask people to move, and I don't like feeling trapped. My answer is always the same. Window. To choose the window is to choose to see. Whether I'm identifying a river or marveling at the play of moonlight on the ocean, whether the view is a patchwork of planted fields, a city showing off its neon finery, or a comforter of clouds, I am filled with a deep sense of awe. Sometimes as the plane moves through a storm, breaking through the clouds and into the sun, my own spirit opens up to invite in the expanse of beauty. There's always something to see, always something I have never seen before. Knowing that to choose the window is an invitation to beauty, awe, and wonder, that it is even an opportunity to break through the cloudiness of my own spirit, why do I always pause to make the decision? Each time we get a seat on a plane, we are invited to choose to be touched by the world or to remain complacent and take it for granted. We are invited to choose beauty or fear, vision or convenience. Each day of our lives, in fact, we are given the choice, window or aisle, Something inside me will always pause before I choose, but I think I'll take the window. I choose the aisle seat, whatever my colleague says about finding beauty at the window. If you've ever met Sarah York, author of our reading today, you might understand that her primary concern about flying is not fitting into a tiny seat crammed against a wall for hours. So she gets to think about beauty when she flies. At this point, I imagine that any number of you are thinking, I really didn't care which seat Sarah York chooses when she flies, much less which one you do. Why are we talking about airplane seats anyway? I tried very hard to find a reading about making choices for today's service. Most of the readings I found, however, are heavy-handed diatribes about justice. And despite my usual sensibilities about worship, I just wasn't in the mood for something like that today. It's just too easy to say that the choices we make about justice matter. Of course they do. It's harder to understand that all of the choices we make in our lives matter. So today I'm asking you to understand that it matters what you choose in your life. Window or aisle, it matters. Choose the window for a chance to see the beauty of our earth from high up. Choose the aisle to practice self-care for your oversized body. It's not exactly saving someone's life but the choice deserves to be made deliberately. It deserves to have a pause before you make it.
Not all of us have the luxury of dedicating the last years of our lives to planting lupins like Ms. Rumpius, however much beauty that might have added to the countryside in Maine where she lived. But all of us have chances to make choices about what we do, and those choices matter. So today I want you to think about what it is that you really want out of your life. What are the values you hold most dear? If someone asked you, as someone will in a moment, what values you would like to have reflected in your life, what would you tell them? Would you value adding beauty to the world? Would you value simplicity or equality or justice? Would you value compassion or relationships or harmony or family? Would you value wealth or material possessions or privacy? Would you value security or independence or freedom? All of those fine things to value. But what is it that you would say you value the most in your life? And here we come to the audience participation portion of our sermon. I'm really asking you, what are the things that you would say you value the most in your life? Shout out some words to me. I'll repeat them. Family. Love, caring, friends, courage, relationships, kindness, health, joy, appreciation, giving of yourself. These are the things that we say we value. The things that we say, the folks in this room say we value. And once we articulate what it is we value, we need to take a long, hard look at our lives to understand how it is that our lives reflect those values. My first minister and mentor, the Reverend Arvid Straubi, was fond of saying that there was an easy way that we could make that assessment. Here's how he put it. He once said, If you want to know what you really believe, not what you think you believe, not what you tell people at parties you believe, but if you want to know what you really believe, what values you really hold, what kind of world you really want, there's a quick inventory you can do, he said. You can look in your checkbook or its electronic equivalent, And you can look in your date book or its electronic equivalent, and you can see what it is you spend your time and your money on. Are you giving those precious resources of your life in the service of the kind of world that you say you believe in? That's a matter of small decisions each and every day. When I first heard Arvid say this, the instructions required me to go home and look at paper. Nowadays, I can do this assessment simply by examining data on my cell phone. Wherever it is you keep your calendar and your finances, however, I implore you to take a look at them in the next few days. Look at them carefully, because what you find will help you understand whether or not you are living the life you want to be living, the life that you articulate is based on the values that you tell other people you hold most dear in your life, those values of family and relationships and health and joy and giving of ourselves and kindness. 
Those are the values and courage and all those things we heard. Those are the values that should be reflected when you go home and you look at your finances and your date book or your calendar. Look at them carefully. Because our society, you see, has its values too. And I dare say that many of the values in our society at large these days are pretty screwed up. Many of the values that our society espouses, values like greed and narcissism, selfishness, militarism, those values, I want to say, they're simply messed up. And if we don't bring intention to our decision-making, we will wind up living lives that reflect society's messed-up values instead of the ones that we articulate when we're asked in the middle of a worship service. There's been a lot of controversy recently um, that I've seen on my Facebook page and other places about businesses that do and do not support the values that my friends and I choose to live in the world. There are a lot of people who believe that, that choosing to not spend your money in someone's business because of a political stance that they've taken or a human rights stance that they've taken is somehow violating that person's freedom of speech. I disagree. In fact, it is, it is simply my way of saying that you can say whatever you want, but I don't have to give you money for saying it. Lots of controversy going on now about, about Chick-fil-A, for example. I don't know if you've heard of this. They're a mostly southern fast food chain. They make chicken sandwiches. You've probably seen their ads with the cows who can't spell. Well, the, the owner of Chick-fil-A gives millions and millions of dollars to campaigns against same-sex marriage, to campaigns um, banning um, equal rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Because that's grounded in his understanding of his faith. His faith calls him to give millions of dollars to oppose LGBT equality. My faith calls me to not spend my money on his chicken sandwiches. Because where I spend my money, even if it's $2 on a chicken sandwich, matters. The choice that I make on where I spend my money matters. It matters what I choose to spend my resources on. It matters what you choose to do with your life, too. It matters how you choose to live. That this is true is illustrated, in my experience, by what happens when a temporary space is formed that shuts out the values of our society and replaces them with clear values of its own. Though fleeting and imperfect, it's a temporary space, after all these times, give us a glimpse into what it might be like to be more intentional in our everyday lives throughout the year. Last week, I was in one such space, a space that I return to each year, a space called the Southeast Unitarian Universalist Summer Institute, also known as SUSI. It's a Unitarian Universalist family conference that happens every year in Virginia. I go to it. This year, about 1,100 other people happen to join me at it. It's quite an amazing event. And... About 10 or 12 years ago, I was in charge of the teen program there, the program for the youth, the 14 through 17-year-olds. And knowing that I am the former youth director and now a minister, I get called in a lot when they have issues and problems in the teen dorm. 
And they had issues. They always have issues and problems in the teen dorm. This week was no exception. And they called me in a few times to deal with some issues and problems, one of which involved a teen who had somehow procured some alcohol and made the choice to drink at Susi, even though um, no alcohol is one of the biggest rules that teens sign off on when they come to Susi. In fact, no alcohol is one of the only three rules that teens can break that get them automatically sent home from the conference, no questions asked. No alcohol, no violence or drugs or weapons or destructive behavior, and no breaking the curfew. They're put into three rules. It sounds like a whole lot more when I say it like that. But they're put into three. They're called the big three, and no alcohol is one of them. And that team, that team made a choice to break that rule, knowing that it was the rule. And the team staff struggled with that because they knew that they had to send that team home. They knew that they had to send that team, and it breaks their hearts because they love this community. They love all the teens in this community. They love them all the same. They want them all to have a wonderful week, and it breaks their hearts to, to break the community by having to send someone home. And here's, here's what I got to tell them about this from my experience in the teen dorm and working with the teens at SUSE. I said, there are teens who are in your program who are struggling every day to follow that rule. There are teens who are struggling with addiction and with, with pain in their lives that on a normal basis they choose to drown out with substances. And they're making a choice every day to follow those rules. And in enforcing the rules with the teen who chose not to follow the rules, you are validating the choice that the teens who are following those rules are making. You are saying this, this thing that you're doing which might very well be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life, is worth it because the adults who are in charge of making a safe place in this program care enough about you to enforce the rules that you're choosing to follow. Years ago, when I was in that dorm, we got to the end of a week. I was, I was a, a teen leader. I was one of the staff in the, in the teen dorm. We got to the end of the week, and we were sort of checking out with our teens before they went home, making sure they had a good time. And one young woman sat there and she wept. She wept as we checked out. And we, you know, usually, you know, they save their weeping for as they're actually leaving. So we, we decided to understand what she was going through that was causing her to sit there and weep. And she told us that she didn't remember the last time she had spent a week without taking any drugs. It was not, it was not even in her memory the last time she had spent a week clean of drugs. And she came to Susie not sure that she could do it. She came to Susie not sure that she could even spend that week clean. But she understood that it was the rule, and she understood what the values of this community were. She understood that this community valued safety, it valued relationship, it valued responsibility, it valued respect. And she understood the values that were in place. And so she did everything in her power to stay clean for a week. And she managed to do it. And she told us, she said, it occurs to me that if I can find people who will support me in making that choice when I go home, I might be able to stay clean next week too. And maybe the week after that as well. I'm not sure what happened to that young woman. 
But I know that having a community where the values are clear helps people make choices in their lives that are sometimes the hardest things that they have to do. Alice Rumphius was taught by her grandfather that whatever else she wanted to do in her life, she had to do something to make the world more beautiful. That lesson was powerful, and it came back to her as she aged in her house by the sea on the coast of Maine. There she sat, having lived her values of exploration and relationship with people who were different from her through her years of world travel, having lived her values of hard work as a librarian, And she realized that all of the things she had done in her life hadn't lived the value taught to her by her grandfather. Some of the things we come to value in our lives are handed down from those we love and respect. So it was with Miss Rumphius, who came to know that she could add beauty to the world by planting flowers that would delight everyone in her community. So the challenge that I leave you with today now that you have told me what it is that you articulate as the values that you hold, is to do some more thinking about what values you really want to be living in this world and to find a way, find some way to make choices that are in concert with those values. Find a way to make the choices in your lives, the little choices, what you spend $2 on, and the big choices as well. That, that are in harmony with the values that you articulate. I wish that I could tell you what it is that you should value most. I wish this were that sort of religion. At this moment, I'd like to just give you a list. This is not that sort of religion, so I cannot. I wish that I could tell you how it would be that you could live those values best. I wish I could give you a list of practices that would very clearly mirror all of the things that you have just told me you value. Thankfully, this is not that type of religion, so I cannot. But I can leave you with this hope. This community right here, this community formed by this fellowship, is a place where we can articulate our values and where we can help each other live them. In fact, anywhere that I'm a minister is going to be grounded in that experience I have each year in that intentional community in Western Virginia. It's where I felt my call to the ministry because my ministry is grounded in creating a community where we can all help each other live from the highest values that we hold. That's what we do here, and I leave you with that hope. So I expect some careful examination of your checkbooks or your financial software and your eye calendars or however it is that you keep track of time in your life over the next few days and weeks. I expect some struggles and I expect some questions because the things that you find might not match up with the things that you want to find. And I also expect to see you supporting one another in living the values that you hold most dear. Because it matters how you choose to live. So I invite us all to live understanding that to be so. Blessed be.